0: Really what we've started to do is settle in in terms of, you know, who are we actually? Some, you know, big questions. Uh, What is our brand? You know, what's our purpose as a business? You know, we, we kind of know it internally, but how do we start to articulate that out into the world? So the challenge for 2020 continues to be brand awareness.
1: Hello and welcome to the Fintech Marketing Podcast, bringing you insights and ideas from the world's leading financial service marketers. I'm your host, Eric Fulweiler, CMO of 11FS. I'm on a mission to learn how the world's hottest fintech startups and most innovative financial service brands drive growth through modern day marketing. Today's guest is Rachel Pollard, Chief Growth Officer at Starling Bank. Thanks for joining us, Rachel. You're welcome. How are you doing today?
0: I'm um, good, thanks. Yeah, how are you?
1: I am good, thank you. So let's kick things off. Tell us, what is your favorite brand in financial services, and it can't be your own?
0: Oh, that's a shame. Okay, uh, so I've got a couple, actually. I think uh, ClearScore are doing some nice work, and I think what I like about their work is they're just breaking the mold, making it much simpler for customers to understand their space. I think that that's a fantastic kind of model. That's something we're also trying to do a bit more, uh, lift the lid. Actually, also Nutmeg. I'm a Nutmeg customer, happy to say. Uh, I think they're doing some nice stuff there as well. I think there's probably perhaps more to come from them. So yeah, those two, definitely.
1: Yeah, our CTO is actually involved in Nutmeg in the early days, so good to oh. get a shout out for them. So tell us about yourself, Rachel. What's your background? How did you end up at Starling? I know you and I actually joined in these new roles into the world of fintech at about the same time last summer. Um, so where are you coming from and how did you get here?
0: Yeah, so I've had a bit of a wiggly path, let's say. So I started off way back when working for like a digital new media agency back in the day. And I've come through charity, a little short contract at RBS, but that's really the only banking experience I've got. So all the way through to Just Eat, book clubs, you know, uh, compare the market most recently. To begin with in my career, there was no purpose to that in terms of I just went where the, where the roles took me and I had a little bit of a, a moment probably halfway through my career, perhaps 10 years ago, when I thought, God, maybe I should like stick in the same industry for a while because I, I should, you know, that's what other people are doing. But I think actually what that's given me is a really, really robust insight understanding of all different types of marketing strategies, approaches, regardless of size of business, kind of the stage of the business is at. But for me, particularly tech businesses, that, that's, I realise that's where my heartland is. You know, that's where I feel really comfortable. It's really vibrant. I can really contribute. So, yeah, it's exciting coming into the fintech space. There's there's just so much movement every day. Something new is happening. Someone's moved. Someone's, you know, some new brand, you know, popped up. So yeah, I'm kind of, you know looking forward to the challenge into this year.
1: It's funny for me, also being new to the world of financial services and fintech, and and like you had a little bit of experience on the agency side working with financial service brands uh, in the states and then also here in the UK, but you know, obviously there's the disadvantage of not having the subject matter expertise or having to kind of learn it quickly. Mm -hmm. But in a way, there's um, somewhat of an advantage as well because you come in with a fresh perspective and there's not kind of the way that things have always been done. Do you find that with your role stepping in at Starling that Mm -hmm. the breadth of experience and perspective that you have can almost be an advantage to think about how to do things differently?
0: Absolutely. I think every day I challenge why things are the way they are. And I think it's easier for me to get into the head of the consumer and the customer because I am one, you know, so it's always nice and easy. And also I just think, well, why, you know, what's been interesting for me, especially when I first started the first sort of few weeks, I realised all the things that I've become used to with my then incumbent bank, that I thought were just the way things are. And then when you work behind the, you behind the curtain, you go, God, why am I being charged this random fee for something just to access my own money? Or, you know, there's certain things you start to go, oh, my God, you know, this is crazy. So, yeah, I definitely agree. I think I can, you know, I can challenge a lot. I work with, you know, Starlings a real mix of people that worked in banking for many, many years and people that are brand new to kind of fintech and banking sector. So it's a nice hybrid, you know, it makes for interesting conversations for sure, internally.
1: And so your background, was it always marketing following this wiggly path? That was the kind of the consistent throughout?
0: <laughs> yeah, always, yeah. yeah. And actually when I first started out, well, well very, very first started out, I worked in Germany for a year, part of my degree at Johnson Johnson. And that was interesting, working sort of European marketing assistant, you know, a kind of lowly job. But actually my first proper job, let's say, in London was actually working for a company called Info on Screen, which at the time were revolutionary. So they were one of the early days kind of tech agencies actually and they created a software that meant you could basically publish uh, rather send ads over to plasma screens schedule them in bars and pubs and in shopping malls at the time I mean this is obviously for social media for mobile I'm showing my age now blah, blah, blah. and it was revolutionary one of the first clients was actually Diageo and I was involved in all the scheduling and maybe the end user using the the software scheduling ads and what we started to do is is look at okay, if we schedule I don't know like um, a whiskey kind of Johnny Walker, say, advert at 6, 7 p.m. And then we get the EPOS data back. Actually, did sales go up of Johnny Walker when there were ads showing behind the bar for Johnny Walker? And it, it sounds so simple now, bear in mind how far advanced we are, but back at the time that was just like, oh, my God, so we've got actual data to show when we show this ad sales go up. And that, that was me hooked. And I realized that she, because all of my background's really predominantly data-driven performance marketing, performance marketing. And I've always loved that. I I like the lack of subjectivity in it. I like the objectivity. I like being able to draw back on data and numbers. So that was kind of me hooked really back in, back in the day.
1: And is that uh, part of what led to the title of chief growth officer as opposed to chief marketing officer. Does that reflect kind of how you think about marketing or or the structure within Starling for you and your team?
0: Yeah, to a point. I, I, it's interesting, I think, with the CMO, CGO thing, I, I'm probably less hooked up on it. I mean, I'm kind of not too worried about job titles as such. I think chief growth officer feels more, f- uh, well, I'd say more modern, but it feels like the right kind of role for now, especially for Starling, businesses like Starling, because it's less about the pure kind of marketing channels, etc. It's actually more about commerciality, understanding what drives the business, and going and understanding, well, how through marketing channels, but through other means, can you go and, you know, get more of those, those great customers and actually draw value out of them and give them value, importantly, as well.
1: So what's going on in the world of marketing at Starling going into 2020 and you kind of getting settled into your role? Can you tell us a little bit about your philosophy on marketing that you're bringing to the table over there and the high-level strategy that you're putting together?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I've been there six months. So the first six months have been a crazy ride of all sorts of amazing things. You know, first first time on TV, first big sort of, you know, big travel campaign that we did actually even before the TV. And during the first six months, really what we started to do is settle in in terms of, you know, who are we actually? Some big questions, you know, uh, what is our brand? You know, what's our purpose as a business? You know, we, we kind of know it internally, but how do we start to articulate that out into the world? So the challenge for 2020 20, it continues to be brand awareness. So, how do we actually get more people across the UK just knowing our name? Um, and obviously, very quickly followed by consideration. You know, people not knowing, not just knowing us, but actually saying, "You know, I'm going to give them a go. I'm going to download the app. I'm going to try try them out." One's definitely big campaign, definitely planned. You know, we work month by month, quarter by quarter. So, who knows what's going to come in half two? I've got a plan, but it could all uh, change. So, big campaign and particularly starting to focus more on our business banking products, actually. So we were awarded a fund, obviously, uh, £100 million, part of SIF. And so really, obviously, we, we want to use that clearly to help to uh, break up the business banking market in the UK. So we'll be focusing a lot on that. So you'll see something coming quite soon around that. Um, but also we're looking at, on the brand side, big brand partnerships, So my my ethos this year, and probably ongoing a little bit, is let's just do fewer things really, really well. You know, that doesn't mean we're not continuing to test on the digital side, you know, multivariate testing, creatives and messaging, all the rest of it, because we're still learning. You know, we don't know it all. And that's one of the beauties of working somewhere like Starling is we know we don't know it all, but we really want to go and find out. And it's that curiosity, I think, feeds, you know, fuels a lot of what we do. So we're looking at some some bigger brand partnerships, which would help us also fast track into people's mindsets in terms of understanding what we stand for. Because if we partner with perhaps some brands that already have fairly clear brand positioning in in their sector, again, it helps our customers to understand who we are and what we're about. For me personally, what I want and ambition, whether we achieve it this year or perhaps future years, is for people, A, to understand our purpose, what we stand for, what we care about, and also to bank with Starling means something. Do you know so if you bank with us if you get your card out or use your your app there's some sense of community some sense of belonging some sense of there's a reason that I bank with them rather than I've just got the best rate so aiming to also create more of a halo and more of a we have an ambition around that as well
1: so how did you go about figuring out the brand purpose sounds like that was one of the priorities for you in these early days what was the process for you not just in for you and your team but I'm assuming with the wider organization and leadership and and your CEO Kind of bringing everybody on that journey
0: yeah absolutely I mean it's still ongoing to, to be honest which is again how I would expect things to, to go because we're still shifting and changing a little bit but um yeah absolutely so I think our brand uh, historically has really really been Anne to a point you know she she founded the business she's ex- incredibly successful and inspirational person. Um, so clearly, you know, the brand and our values have been very closely aligned with Anne's. I think what we're aiming to do working obviously with Anne and other people across the business, like you say, especially our chief person officer, is start to understand well, what are our values at a core business level? You know, what do we stand for? Um, what do our people that work for us? You know What do they think? And, and what would they like to see change? And then using that to then obviously shape our brand and our brand identity because there's no point creating some vacuous brand identity. It's got, when you get behind the door, it's got nothing to do with how we run the business. So, yeah, like you say, working internally, continuing to do that and evolving, you know, every every week, every month kind of and giving people, newer people even than me in the business, time to just get their own head straight and live and breathe in uh, the kind of uh, the, the culture a bit, a bit further before then going out and doing anything bigger. But that's been the process so far. We're we're clear on a number of, of areas. What we stand for, you know, we obviously stand for innovation. You know, we stand for um, well. I hate to say customer centricity because everyone says it, but actually, we, we just literally want to lift the lid on banking and make it so much simpler and easier for to manage their hard-earned money. So that's why we make purposeful decisions in terms of our rates and the products that we offer to market, but also just obviously the the app itself, the functionalities, constantly evolving, developing those things. So we have a a few clear pillars. I'm might not saying them here because obviously we're still modifying them internally, but yeah, hopefully then we'll start to be really consistent with how we're going to market, you know, whereas before it's, it's been quite sort of, we kind of just felt our way, you know, people that have been there a long time, you feel it and you kind of just, it feels natural, but actually now we're, you know, near 900 people across, you know, three sites across the UK, you can't rely on that kind of water cooler moment, to then define kind of who you are. So we're just trying to be a little bit more consistent and grown up maybe.
1: And so the uh, TV campaign that you Mm. ran last fall, was that, I'm conscious that if you joined in July and launched that in October or whenever it was, that's not a lot of time. Yes. Was that that campaign building on values and, and kind of that purpose that you had already established or is it kind of this like evolving thing that's happening together?
0: Yeah, it's definitely evolved Kind of in parallel. I think with the, uh, yes, it was a bit of a crazy first few months on the job. I'm not going to lie. Day one, right, TV, I think we should go on TV, crack on. It's like, okay, fine. What's the idea? What's the, you know? But with the the campaign in October, you know, I I am immensely proud to have managed to, from inception to getting it to market, such a short space of time to deliver something that we feel really proud of. It sets the scene. It's not the, we've got lots of learnings from it and learnings we're going to take forward and we can definitely evolve. But I think one of the um, key uh, messages, I guess, we wanted to land with the campaign, with the starlings, the murmuration, you know, up in the sky, is that we, uh, I can't think of a better way of saying it, we stand for sort of, for the sense of freedom Freedom from, you know, archaic processes and all the rest of it. So actually one of the key messages with the, using the Starlings is not only to say we're called Starling Bank, because still people refer to us as Sterling. Stalin, I heard one time, I thought, oh my God, we're not called Starling Bank. So it's A, just this is our name and this is, you know, but also to get a sense, start to build a sense of, it. it's about freedom and looking up and positivity. We're an incredibly positive bunch of people. Actually, we genuinely believe we can take on the big guys. We can work actually with the other fintech brands who are doing a great job. You know, we, I don't, I don't feel a need to aggressively go after our basically our friends We're in the fintech space right now. There's plenty of space and plenty of scope. So it's about you know being positive about our ability to really shift and change an entire industry.
1: And on that, how are you thinking about? And planning kind of differentiation between the Starling brand and some of the other fintech challenger banks, at least here in the UK. Is that something you're consciously thinking of or is it more, you know, you know what you want to stand for and you're just going to focus on that?
0: Yeah, it's a good, good point. So um, politicians answer is a bit of both, to be honest. So for me, it's very important to run our own race, to be clear on who we are. Do a bit of a kind of introspective work and then really consistently and clearly articulate that across all channels in all the way. We're you know, obviously really mindful of what our competitors are doing, and our competitors landscape shifting and changing pretty much daily at the moment. So it's fascinating for me seeing who's coming to the market. We are purposeful in terms of our positioning, though, in the market. So we are not the kind of technicolor. You know, very millennial, very London-centric kind of brand. We are purposefully want to appeal to a much wider, well, the whole UK, the whole of the UK, and we also are want to appeal to a wider demographic and a wider age group. You know, which takes time, and it and actually they are more difficult to convert because they're less close to the whole fintech space, they're less familiar um, with just the product of the sector as a whole, actually. So there's an education job we need to do. So our strategy, my strategy, certainly, is to start to, with the awareness piece, build that trust. Um, And that trust, hence, actually, why we went on TV. You know, obviously, it builds awareness, but TV, for all of the conversations right now around you know the, you know trying to search for the missing viewer and all these sorts of things the reality is TV still is one of the best ways to cut through and get into the kind of um, mass psyche essentially so that's exactly why we've done that, why we will continue to do that certainly into this year and probably beyond as well. I'm not saying we're going to be a massive TV um, brand because it costs a lot of money frankly and we don't have that much money, we're still only a scale up but um, we recognise it's a good investment for the long term so I think we our approach is possibly more long-termist than some of our competitors. You know, we're, we're not going with a necessary product benefit-led um, messaging as the first thing we do. We absolutely are doing more of that. Um, but actually the first kind of message really is around, well, not first message, but what we're trying to do is build an emotional connection with people. You know, for me, that's how you build a brand. People don't make actually rational decisions very often, even in financial services. And like I say before here, I was to compare the market. Similarly, you know, insurance, things like that, you don't actually make that rational decisions particularly, or very few people do. So actually building that emotional connection, getting people to feel something for us, to feel that kind of sense of positivity and lightness, and you know there is a better way of doing things, and then follow that through with product messaging, all the benefit messaging, all the good practice, you know that you would expect.
1: And you talked about um, being more long-term oriented, and of course you have every business does, the challenge of balancing long-term and short-term, but particularly recently with Anne, your CEO, coming out and saying that she wants the business to be profitable by 2021, listed on the stock exchange publicly by 2022, Mm -hmm. that, one, is interesting because that's um, not the conversation for a lot of your competitors right now, Uh, and, two, puts – I guess added complexity into the idea of being long-term oriented while also trying to hit some of those more bottom line or financial oriented metrics in the next couple of years. So how do you think about that from a marketing standpoint and how is that being baked into your brand strategy?
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it's, I'm not going to lie, it, it's it's a challenge. So for me, the two are totally separate challenges, uh, strategies rather. So one is obviously profitability. And I think if we were just going for profitability, obviously, who are our most profitable customers, you know, being mindful of how we invest, perhaps, pulling back on investment from a marketing perspective and other areas of the business as well. But we recognise this year, next year, vital years for the whole industry. So what we can't do right now is sort of fade into the background in order to hit profitability and actually miss out on all the amazing kind of share of market and and stuff we started to build up already at the end of last year. So candidly, it's a tightrope from a marketing perspective. We are doing a lot. We, We have a very supportive board, which is amazing. And and a bunch of uh, a couple of investors that are very wedded and and get it. They get that we need to grow, we to invest, you know, speculate to accumulate. So we are continuing to invest, but we're invested. We're very mindful where we invest. It's probably the easiest way to say it. We're mindful. It needs to, yeah. We have the tactical activity that pays back in the relative short term, but also mindful of those brand KPIs and those longer moving, those um, slower moving metrics rather. And that's been, that's been a, I think, a change certainly within the business. And that's been a journey that I've gone on with everyone else in the business, actually, because like perhaps many of our competitors, you have short-term goals, short-term, you know, in-month, daily, in fact. We, you know, we get daily stats of how many new accounts have been opened across which, which account types, which is great. But actually what you end up doing is going down a little rabbit hole of just short-termism. So I'm very, what we're trying to do is build that long-term you know, set out a foundation from marketing and brand perspective, whilst still delivering against yeah those short term goals. So there's a lot of performance marketing, fantastic digital kind of activity trying to do that. We've seen some great successes though already. Even in the, our first campaign, our first foray into TV, you know, we saw a. This is a my was using some. Yeah, UGov data which we've now actually shifted over in terms of how we track our brand metrics we're now actually on board with kantar but actually we saw a 16 percentage point increase in prompted brand awareness over the first eight weeks of the campaign which i've never experienced anywhere in any industry and actually you know people that are less close to business have equally said that's phenomenal so we've seen some successes so it's important to me is to say yeah we're building this long term could give ourselves a chance to build this platform because i'm Confident it will pay back in the next few years and will separate us from the pack. Actually, it will separate us and clearly give us an identity. But what are the metrics we can get hold of more quickly to show to the business and prove that yes, this is definitely the right thing to do? You know, because we weren't set up by marketeers as such, and marketing is a uh, still. Uh, sort of in its infancy, I suppose, or less advanced, less mature than some other areas of the business. You know, we're very much more engineering, to kind of tech-focused business, as you would expect. So the, the challenge, I guess, we have internally is how do we... Maintain that focus, that, that um, drive daily. We have released the app almost daily. There's constant releases, constant tweaks happening. How do we keep that going, keep that running, but at the same time try to almost catch up, I suppose, from a marketing point of view and, and start to also innovate for marketing um, in the marketing space as well. Um, so things like the ad tech and the martech that we're using, how do we get better at personalization, how do we start to to better understand our customers and use that to deliver more value for our customers. So there's some of the challenges, you know, into this year. I mentioned challenging a lot. So do, you, do you detect that a very challenging time <laughs> right now? Like,
1: I, mean, cha- I mean, another way of saying challenge is opportunity, right? Oh, so absolutely. It yeah. sounds, um, it just kind of hearing you talk about everything, I'm, I'm curious to hear a little bit more about how you're prioritizing everything, right? Because you're coming in, you know, new industry, new company, to your point, marketing maybe wasn't as kind of evolved as other areas of the business and there's so much and, you know, you're sprinting and there's this arms race happening in your space and, um, you know, you're expanding into different, into different product verticals and different geographics. How are you thinking about what you focus on first and what you're okay with kind of like leaving to a second tier priority. I'm sure that's something that you're consciously kind of planning. Like there's all these things that we need to do, but brand purpose and these other things are the things that matter most for the first 12 months or whatever.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So for the way I see it, I... I tend to be quite, I'm quite a simple person. I tend to simplify things right down. So my main aim, first of all, brand awareness. If no one knows of us, about us, all the rest doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how amazing our products are, how amazing actually you have the app is and our functionalities. If people don't know us, they're not going to use us. So the awareness piece is my number one. Therefore, what are all the things that help to drive brand awareness? The next sort of aligned with that is trust. Being aware of us, one thing, but we know trust is the biggest, um, one of the biggest barriers, trust and apathy, actually, the two biggest barriers to people entering and actually considering us and and using us and our competitors. So how do we start to build trust? So again, what are the activities that help us deliver trust, you know, meaningfully? Again, things like brand partnerships, other opportunities, other things to fast track that. Um, And then, um, what are all the proof points? So actually one thing we're doing right now is looking at our entire messaging matrix. So from a sort of product marketing perspective, so you've got the banking products, you know, we launched a hell of a lot last year, we've got a massive roadmap this year, all new products, and we're prioritising those, you know, we, uh, our chief uh, banking officer, is prioritising those based on what the customer need is. So they're, for me, they're the proof points, and one thing we're looking to do is get more consistent at what is the messaging you know hierarchy, I say banking products, but also the product in terms of the uh, functionalities in the app. What are the things that matters matter most, what resonates most with which audiences, and start to be more consistent and actually a bit more formulaic actually, more of a machine in terms of how we get those messages out. So I think the way I my approach, you know rightly or wrongly, is to say, well, brand awareness number one, and that will be our challenge all this year, brand awareness, brand awareness, and brand trust. That's it, that's it, that's it. Uh, so that's things like, like I say, TV, um, brand partnerships, other activity as well. And then it's about once there's awareness and we've piqued people's interest, then it's about what are those proof points we know will deliver for that audience to then have them tr- just try us. And that's the thing, you know, like I say, we're not. We're not saying, hey, switch to us straight away. We're not expecting you to marry us on the first date. You know, just download the app and try us and you can do that now. So that's really our messaging out there. And then once people are trying us, the onus is on us to then prove that the functionality is amazing. You know, we've had amazing customer feedback. You know, this year, really proud to get our first Switch accreditation. And we're just literally one percentage point off First Direct for customer satisfaction, which is phenomenal. And I know our, our customer service team work, they're 24-7, they're based in the UK here, so it's all, you know, brilliant and f- fantastic accolade for them and well-deserved. But how do we, again, those, those proof points, those things that I think are reasons for people not to try us, how can we start to um, kind of knock those down? And interestingly, for me anyway, you know, I think as a digital bank, a mobile bank, I think a lot of people might think we're sort of faceless, I think there's certain, you know, demographic out there uh, that would think actually, well, they're digital, but I don't have the the kind of branch to go to. I don't have this, you know, this physical connection, you know, with another human being. And what's interesting is, of course, we're, we're 24-7, 365, you know. And I know there's we're a very cynical market in the UK, so it's always, well, everyone says that, my might hold for like 45 minutes, three hours, God, you know. You're not with us, no, you're your minutes. Um, and you get through to a real person that's here... And we'll answer your question and do everything that possibly can, and as I say, we've you know very proud of won awards for that as well. You can contact us easier, you can speak to a human being easier with us than you can with the big banks and the big guys. But I appreciate that for many people, the branch, even if they haven't been to a branch in like three years, knowing there's a branch there just in case that's the thing that's kind of a barrier that we need to start to try to address and, and kind of break through yeah
1: I'm, I'm curious hearing you talk about that um. Is that something that you are thinking about or potentially down the line would think about as something that you could actually leverage as an advantage in your marketing? Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is if you have this competitive advantage as a business for the customer experience, having these call centers and 24-7, 365 people that are front lines talking to customers and their experience with the product and the brand – there's obviously valuable context and information there that could help you as chief growth officer and your teams determining what messaging you want to put out, where you want to invest your media dollars and all that. Is that a loop that you might be looking to close at some point?
0: Yeah, definitely. And actually speaking with our um, head of customer service, starting to, to almost at least group together and understand what are the, the kind of issues that come through most um, and can we address those? Can we help people self-serve a bit better? Because actually... We find, certainly, that retail customers, you know, are kind of, they don't actually really want to speak to someone, frankly. And actually, funny enough, I found this out at Just Eat as well. There used to be this uh, sense that people wanted to speak to someone on the end of a phone, you know, to know that their order had gone through okay. And actually, funny enough, most people are like, no, I'm happy, just do it all through technology. I'm not sure that's that's good or bad, but, you know, it's a sign of the times. So, yes, understanding the volume and the types of complaints or or challenges or issues that are coming through and saying, well, how how can we, yeah, exactly, how can we help to, right from the get-go, answer those?
1: So what about what hasn't worked? I know it's only been six, seven months, but any learnings that you can share from things that maybe haven't gone the way that you wanted them to?
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think... um, I'm not saying everything that I've done since I've there has worked, mind you, but I think probably one of the things that is foremost in my mind is around social and influencer marketing, actually. So I think we, and that's a byproduct of us just trying to get clear around who we are and our brand identity. Because I think it's hard to have a really strong social strategy if you're not really, really clear daily, minute by minute, exactly who you are. Therefore, what conversation should you Grab hold of what are the ones you should definitely not touch. So, we've naturally been perhaps more conservative. And I think for me into this year, and you'll start to see more of it, is actually starting to look at our our social media presence, especially again, starting to test out a little bit our personality and perhaps lighten. You know, I think again, you know, we are financial services. So, candidly, you know, not many people actually necessarily want to particularly engage with us on Twitter unless they've got a complaint, which is fair enough. But interesting, we have really positive sentiment really positive sentiment. So as we grow and we expand and we, you know, we scale up, it's really important to, for me and the rest of the business that we keep that positive sentiment, which is a real challenge. Because obviously, the more people you have, the more likelihood there is that, you know, you know, they won't be happy or be little things that they don't like. So how do we keep that going? Yeah,
1: that's great. So can you tell us a little bit about what's on the roadmap for you starting 2020 for this year? What are you working on now that you're excited about?
0: Yeah, so sort of following on from the from the conversation earlier. So I think i have got a big campaign launching this quarter. So depending on when we air, may have been out already. Again, that's very much focused on business banking. And again, it's a continuation. So we're actually working with a different agency this time. We've got a new creative agency, Wonderhood uh, Studios, and a new actually media agency as well, uh, Bountiful Cow. Uh, And so it's a first campaign with them, but important to us to keep that brand equity that we started to build at the end of last year. So it's a very it's a different creative, but there there are definitely kind of synergies there, which is important. So we've got that going live. We have a potentially big partnership in the summer, which I can't talk about, which we're excited by. And we hope that that will go really well. I'm talking cryptic clues now, sorry. And to be honest, the, the other thing we haven't really spoken too much about is actually our digital marketing. So we are really... As I, as I say, innovation and, you know, being innovative in all all its forms is really important to us as a business. So actually, that's an area that I'm really excited by in terms of really lifting our game a bit in that space, starting to better use data, better use, uh, work with different platforms. Obviously, you've got Google and Facebook and those guys. Um, interestingly, we've been really successful on Snapchat, which was, uh, when I first, I, I came in, you know, Relatively clueless, let's say, and I was like, "Really, Snapchat? It just doesn't seem to fit from what my my expectation was." So, so it's starting to understand actually, where can we play? Where can we dial up and down? And, and the whole digital landscape, which, as I say, is sort of my predominantly my background. How can we lift our game a bit more there? And how can we do more and better things?
1: Snapchat's interesting. I mean, I haven't heard a success story or someone kind of proactively say that they've been really successful on on Snapchat for for a little while now, but. Um, is that with a kind of, I guess you would assume it would be maybe a younger demographic and is that more on the organic side? No, with Snapchat paid. or on the paid side? Yeah, yeah. yeah
0: paid, which is interesting. And they, they, you know, we've got a great team, they're really engaged so that obviously always helps. Um, so yeah, shout out to Snapchat there. But, <laughs> but, but more, I mentioned it only because it was a surprise to me and I actually really love to be surprised. I'd to go, ah, oh, I would not have you know, put a bet on that. So why is it? And how can we do more of it? Are there learnings from that channel we can take into other channels? Let's start testing, you know. And like you say, it's a slightly younger demographic, but actually not as young as I thought, to be honest, you know, still mid, mid, late, mid, uh, late 20s, you know, so still very much kind of within our sweet spot, you know, also looking at other new channels as well as establishing the current ones. So things like TikTok, for example. I mean, who knows? Let's, let's see. I had to ask my eldest exactly what it's all about, just to understand a bit more, you know, on the ground, kind of how he uses it, and then, you know.
1: I, I think it's so interesting, though, because it's so easy to kind of fall into the bias of what you know and what technology or social media, what media you consume in general, right? But the landscape is constantly changing. And also, I think, particularly with social, you have these kind of, like, uh, micro-generations who have built their social networks on the platforms that were there, when they formed their communities, meaning you have people that are on Facebook and Facebook is their home base when it comes to social media. And then you have a different kind of micro generation that's on Instagram. But the world of Snapchat and TikTok and whatever comes next, like we might just not be exposed to that at all. But to them, it is kind of primetime media. It's where all their friends are. And so I think you have to understand as a marketer, constantly tracking that ever changing landscape of attention, which also influences culture. Which of course is an incredibly important to understand. Absolutely,
0: I think also not assuming that everyone looks like you, and like you say, you know, watch the same programs, consumes media in the same way. I think that's 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 I think a whole a trap that is easy to fall into. And actually, I think actually the more sort of senior experience you become, it sort of becomes a bigger potential pitfall because you go, well, this worked there, so I'll do the same thing here. Oh yeah, I know there's that thing I don't know, like say TikTok or whatever happening over there, but that's That's for the next person to think about. That's not for me because I know what works. I think for me, it's a true sign of someone that's, you know really good at the craft is to constantly be questioning and being curious and, you know, asking my 13-year-old, you know, so TikTok, what's it all about? Tell me about it. You know, I think that that's not, by the way, I'm not saying I'm I'm the most amazing marketer in the world, but I just think it's important, you know, to stay fresh.
1: And I think it's important when you think about your team and the culture that you build within your team to create an environment where people are comfortable maybe bringing you different ideas outside the box things like, hey, maybe we should do something on TikTok. Because I think to your point, as you kind of get to the top and, and you become the leader, people are more inclined to kind of tell you what they think you want to hear. Yeah. And so it's important to have that flow of, I guess, creative ideas and different ideas and new perspectives.
0: Definitely, yeah. The no BS kind of yeah. filter. Yeah, definitely. for sure.
1: I, I think the other thing that's interesting about Snapchat and what you're discovering is I think there's, um, you know, it's a marketplace out there, particularly when it comes to paid media and not just the actual dynamics of the ad inventory and the buys and the optimizations on these platforms, but also at a macro level just in the advertising market. So if even people like me that come from more of a digital background have not thought as much about Snapchat recently, that means it's probably going to be cheaper and so at a certain point, if you can get that attention and you can reach your audience who's there, that's a huge advantage and arbitrage for the brands that have figured it out.
0: Absolutely. And, and I think to, to a bit to the point or to build the point you were saying, it's about that engagement level. They're highly engaged. Yes, a smaller group of, you know, potential a pool of prospects, but they're, they're engaged and they're into it. So yeah, being there and being relevant, being authentic, and that's the thing for me, authenticity is vital. There's no point doing it if you just look like you just slapped an advert on there, you know, hey, download Starling Bank, you know, so I'm just, I'm I'm not in that space right now. I'm actually chilling out in the evening. So don't just like get in my face. So how do we do that in a way that feels really authentic? Yeah. I have to
1: fire up my Snapchat. (laughs) Check you all out (laughs) again.
0: Redownload it.
1: (laughs) So um, for you as a marketer, can you talk to us a little bit about your sources of inspiration? What are you looking at? Who are you listening to? What are you reading? Where do you go to get inspired for uh, you as a professional marketer?
0: Yeah, good question. So I, I do tend to read a lot of books, you know, just, you know, and, and like I say, my background is predominantly data-driven, performance marketing, work, working for some big brands as well. So, you know, looking at, you know, brand building books um, and just making sure that I'm up to date and that the strategy I'm taking only feels right, but it's sort of, you know, it's the right kind of thing to do. I take a lot of inspiration just from talking to other people. So, you know, I do a few speaking panels, a few events, you know, and that. Then exposing me to all sorts of different people from across different sectors, agency and brand side, and just having chats, you know, going out and chatting to people, you know, what, what what do people think about us? What do people think about financial services? What do people think about just brands and, you know, marketing stuff in general, what's coming up around the, around the horizon? Um, I was on a campaign uh, kind of breakfast panel just recently. And again, it's really interesting to hear what other people are saying about this year, you know, what's the 2020 mean for creatives in the creative space and for agencies and the challenge of in-housing versus, you know, what's the value of an agency now and what do you need to become to really add value to clients? Things like that, whilst well, so they're not directly associated to my absolute day-to-day front of mind, it means that I get my head at my backside, basically, and I'm constantly plugged into what's happening around me. I tend to read a lot of like... All different emails, I've got like the breakfast emails that come in and lunchtime and, you know, the 6pm type, you know, emails as well. Um, they help to keep me kind of focused and again, like plugged into what's happening. I also just consume quite a bit of media, I realise as well. So I like what I like what I like. So, you know, you go on the tube or, you know, you're um, watching TV and you see some stuff. I'm more mindful and I'm more aware of what other marketers, other brands are trying to achieve. I also, I use my kids a lot. They're generally an inspiration to me and it sounds really... Whatever. But, you know, I'm a full time working mum, do you know? So actually, I don't have all the time the luxury of being able to just swan around or take up all the lovely invites to evening dinners to talk about X, Y, Z. But actually, they're the next consumer, obviously. They're my two boys, 11 and 13. They're the next consumer coming literally around the corner. And, you know, like you say, the, the way that they think of media. The way they think of how they consume things is just so vastly different to me. I almost can't fathom it, actually, the world they're coming into and then, you know, what they're going to be expected to do. So they're, they're genuinely an inspiration to me. They tell me all sorts of things, like I say, TikTok, whatever. And that helps me, again, just understand, okay, this is what's coming up around the horizon. So how do we almost create a platform that's going to appeal to them even when they're, once they're kind of ready?
1: It's your secret weapon. Yeah. Any uh, specific books or email newsletters that you could recommend? some favourites out there?
0: It's a a bit of a a classic to us. I I mean, I like the campaign stuff, Mm -hmm. uh, the drum, actually. I find them, I've, you know, been looking at the newsletters for, well, since they started, really, to be honest. I find them really interesting. E-consultancy, actually, I still think is a really valuable source for me and for my team, especially. I think I've got a team with all different uh, backgrounds, different areas of knowledge. And actually, for me, it's really important that we all become broad marketeers over time, or at least have an understanding of other areas of marketing. I think the value of a a brand marketeer understanding the nuances of PPC or actually or even understanding what's the art of the possible it means that they can do their job that much more effectively so yeah e-consultancy is a good source for me as well
1: great and last question to wrap it up who else do you think we should get on the show
0: good question yeah Um, so I don't know I I don't know the name to be honest but I would recommend the CMO of ClearScore unless you've done that already I don't know I think again they're doing some really interesting stuff that probably my Yeah, I'd be interested to hear that interview for sure. Yeah, I don't think
1: they're on the list yet, so maybe for season two. And that wraps up today's FinTech Marketing Podcast. Thank you so much to Rachel for joining me. Where can people find out more about you and Starling?
0: Starlingbank.co.uk. Easy job, or just download the app and give us a try.
1: Excellent. And thank you all so much for listening. If you want to find out more about 11FS, head on over to 11FS.com. And please don't forget to subscribe if you liked what we talked about today. And I'd really appreciate it seeing as we're trying to get this new show off the ground. If you could share and leave us a review. Uh, That would really help, and there'll be many more episodes to come. You can always reach us on Twitter or LinkedIn at 11FS, and you can email us at podcasts at 11FS.com. I would love to hear your thoughts and suggestions. We'll have more episodes coming very soon. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day.